0: My name is Thomas, and I am going to tell you a story. Before we get started, note that this is episode one of a brand new story. So if you're hoping for more of the Ellendrid, I'm afraid you'll have to wait a little longer. And since it is a new story, it may not be the best experience to multitask while you listen. We're recording in our respective homes, safely distanced as the COVID-19 pandemic rages across the country. There is no music, and there are no sound effects, but if you like, you can imagine that we are alone, you and I, in a pale desert, a merciless tundra, with only the occasional beat of hooves to disturb that great, vast emptiness. This is the Oa Oligurr.
1: What does our trust mean to a god?
0: Katu looks up sharply. What?
1: You said trust in Kerval, and we'll be on our way shortly, but surely Kerval's divine agenda is not subject to a few petty bags of meat and bone.
0: Nereset shivers beneath their heavy woolen cloak. They're tall, nearly six feet, with short black hair. They take a drag on their pipe and blow smoke into the ice-cold air, looking down through the haze at Katu an anxious man in the fine grey traveler's garb of a priest of Pelos.
1: For my part, I think we'd do better to trust in Yoshi.
0: Yoshi is struggling. One of the chained wheels on the supply wagon has come loose from its axle. The cart had been thrown from its hitch and caromed off the road. The supplies are all roped down, but the cart itself is in danger of sliding off a ledge into the icy waters of the Shivnik, along with everything on it. A freezing sweat is pouring into Yochi's eyes as he grits his teeth and throws his shoulder behind a great iron-toothed shovel. It's meant for breaking ice and digging snow, but Yochi is using it like a lever, balancing it on the edge of a grain barrel and pressing its blade into the frozen earth beneath the fallen side of the wagon.
2: Do you not believe the gods feel our love, Neryset?
1: I do not believe that gods feel at all.
0: Yochi grunts in exertion.
3: Can we help?
0: Gimogen asks. Yes! Yochi throws all his weight into the farthest grip on the lever. The supply wagon creaks reluctantly, and Yochi holds his breath as he leans back, snowdrops cold against his cheeks. A splintering sound signals the ordeal is not yet over. Yochi in the collapsed corner of the wagon thud into the icy ground as one, torn wood hanging from the shovel's teeth. As the wagon begins to slide again, the cartographer strides away along the ridge. His dark cloak swirls and the snow kicked up from his tall brown boots.
2: <sighs> a day
0: he says. Yochi and Naraset exchange a glance. No one knows what that means. Gemujin half leaps, half slides down the bank from the ridge and presses her back against the heavy cart, digging her heels in as it grates towards the ledge.
3: Katu, grab the wheel and be ready to reattach it. Naraset, help Yochi with the lever...
0: Naraset knocks ash from their pipe and fastens it to their belt, then strides down the slope with seeming ease and pulls Yochi to his feet.
1: What do we city folks say when times get tough?
2: <laughs> Anything's better than getting eaten alive?
1: Abidia, exactly.
0: Nereset is an odd one. They're a thar to the marrow, but something had happened to their herd several years back, and instead of joining a new one, they enlisted with the Outriders in Whisper City. It was about as close to settling down as Athar ever got. Gemujin was baffled by it.
1: It's no use using a barrel like this. Here, let it slide another foot or so and we can use that boulder as the fulcrum. Another
3: foot?
0: Gemujin shoots a look at the rocky shelf ahead of her, her boots skating over the ice looking for purchase.
3: I hope you're sure about this.
0: Neryset positions the shovel's stem over the boulder, its fangs flush against the ground, waiting for the supply wagon to come within reach. Katu trips in the snow on his way down to them with the wheel and comes up sputtering.
1: "Ikonisha!" Language, Katu. What if the gods are listening?
0: Naraset smiles at Yochi.
1: "See, you don't need faith, just a shovel and a clumsy theologian."
0: Yochi breathes a smile back at them. His eyes flit behind Naraset's frame, anxious, looking. But there's nothing there.
3: Naraset
0: Gemijin's boots are scrabbling against the edge of the cliff. Yochi can't help but glance backwards. More than a half step in the wrong direction, and he'd be tumbling into the frothy rapids himself. Naraset pushes the teeth of the shovel underneath the fallen corner of the cart, and they and Yochi grab hold of the grip together. They lock eyes, and pull down with all their weight. The cart groans as it lifts into the air, its contents shifting slightly as the opposite wheel digs into the snow and its slide comes to a halt. With a grunt, Katu fits the rogue wheel back over its axle. Gemujin breathes a long sigh of relief, draping her arms over the wagon
2: rail.
3: All right. Crisis averted.
2: What are we going to do about the pin to keep the wheel in place? We'll have to improvise something, yes? Akambe. Ignore
0: The four of them turn. The cartographer stands a few yards away his arm extended with the missing iron pin resting in his palm. One thing is eminently clear. Yochi the wagon boy does not fit in with this crowd. A dark-skinned young man of about nineteen years with close-cropped hair and the merest shadow of a beard, he sits at the fore of the large covered coach, watching the shaggy oxen pull their way through the snow ahead. The sweat from their close encounter with the shivnik turned to ice in his brows, The supply cart had been carefully yoked to the bulls with Gemujin's climbing rope, and so towed back up to the ridge road. The whole of the encounter cost them most of the afternoon. They'd have to camp soon. Yochi casts his eyes back and looks at his four traveling companions. There was an aura about each of them. Yochi could hardly tell what was what, though. The cartographer sleeps in the very back, his hood is drawn over his eyes, but the golden rings in his hair wink from the darkness. Nariset cleans the single-edged blade of their palma, a polearm common among the guard of Whisper City. They pull a leather sleeve over the iron and tie their hair back into little waves behind their ears. Gemogen reads the ancient pages from her monastery over and over again, her pale features animated by enthusiastic purpose and Katu turns his coin of centurium jade beneath his fingers, watching Gemujin with a cautious intensity. They had joined for different reasons, all of them. It's Gemujin's mission, as she possessed the lost pages that drove them. Katu had provided the funding, or rather the Temple Venerate had provided the funding, and Katu had been stipulated with it. Naraset was sent as a representative of Whisper City from whence they'd embarked, and the cartographer had paid his way, a mapmaker from the south connected by some noblewoman or another. No one knew his name, but his artistry with a pen and ink was irrefutable. And then there'd been the question of language. All five of them were of the northern continent, so that was something. But naraset and Gemujin began speaking to each other in Thasa, the Thar tongue, which might as well have been Vida to everyone else. Burashi was the predominant language of Whisper City, so Yochi and Naraset were familiar, but not Katu, who's from the West, or the cartographer, who'd largely been heard murmuring to himself in Andrish. In the end, they discovered that the best bet was to converse in basic Owenish, a trader's pigeon that evolved along the Highway of Dawn, and while nobody had quite the expert command over its vocabulary or grammar, it got the job done. Yochi turns his attention back to the road. And how had he ended up here? A shiver runs up his spine. Gemijin had called it providence. The constable had called it a freak accident. But somehow, neither of these explanations were quite satisfying. Yochi shivers again, trying not to think of it. A broken urn, a spooked horse. The red-mouthed man. Watching. (sighs) Fuck! Yochi shakes his head. What was the use of fixating on these stupid hallucinations? It was an accident, like the constable had said. He was in the right place at the right time and pulled gemma out of the way. That was all.
3: That was exciting, wasn't it?
0: Yochi jumps.
3: Just think, somewhere up ahead is a sacred veil where no human has stepped in over a thousand years. Perhaps ever. A previously undiscovered holy site where the gods once took their respite from the exhausting task of creation.
1: But we can't know that for sure, can we? I mean, wouldn't the city's outriders have come upon it at least once in all that time?
0: Gimogen shakes her head.
3: Not even they scout this far north. Skybreaker is pretty to look at. Forbidding to approach.
0: She slaps Yoti's shoulder and pulls herself forward to sit next to him.
3: We have already made history. Just by being here.
0: All because of some old scribblings you dug up in the Far East? Gemogen is both an Aladian and a Thar. She spends her summers in a mountain monastery, and her herd joins together in pilgrimage when the days begin to shrink. Every autumn, they travel west across Orem and Tharos, across the snake spines, and across the green marches to Sala Celestia, the Holy Land in Palos. And every spring before this one, she made the return trip, to summer again the monastery. This summer was different, though.
3: I guess I never told you exactly how it happened. They were hidden in the topmost tower of the monastery in a hollow brick. I only discovered them because I had taken it upon myself to thoroughly clean an inventory that year. And it was this past winter that I presented them to the temple venerate.
2: Causing quite a stir, I might add.
0: Katu grins at them from the back. The word
2: heresy was bandied about more than a few times.
0: Gemogen looks mischievously at Yochi.
3: The coin around Katu's neck, do you understand its significance?
0: Yochi shakes his head. He knows what it is, of course, that it's valuable and highly uncommon for a priest to be wearing one around his neck. Katu holds it up to his lantern. A very little radiance passes through it and brings out its color. A deep forest green with fine engravings where the light shines through more easily. It's about the size of one's palm, roped around Katu's neck through a square hole in its center.
2: Chinturium jade grows darker over time. The youngest minted coins are the color of grass or hemp leaf. This one is of a set, the 89 oldest coins from Chela Celestia.
1: Chela Celestia. Centurium. Why do you Westerners speak that way? There are few enough shared words between Burashi and Salic. The least we could do is not mangle them.
2: And what authority do you have? They're holy words. I'd expect holy men to know the sound of them.
1: I'd expect holy men to speak them as haughtily as you do. That's true enough. Give Jenna's holy, and she doesn't sound so ediwashia about
3: it. That's enough. Katu can't help being so haughty. He's got olgin blood, after all.
2: Ha ha.
1: Thank goodness for your mother's misstep, Katu. If you were a true olgin, I'm quite certain I'd have to throw you out of the coach by now.
2: The
0: cartographer snorts with laughter.
2: What, I thought he was asleep.
1: Maybe he still is. Has anyone actually heard him speak in Owenish?
0: Yochi looks ahead.
1: It's getting dark. I don't think it's safe to continue much longer.
3: We should stop and make camp while we can still see our tent poles.
0: They continue north along the ridge road all the following day, leaving the Shivnek behind and making their way up into the foothills of Skybreaker Mountain. Until finally, just before sundown, They reach a blockade of rock, a harsh cliff face, the end of the road. Gemogen consults her notes, while Katu and the cartographer relieve themselves against the natural wall. Finally, Gemogen plants an Aladian pennant in the snow, and drives it into the frozen earth with a mallet.
3: We'll camp here, and circle the base of the mountain tomorrow. Naroset and I will take to our horses every few hours— like spokes from a wheel, to make sure we haven't missed it.
0: Executing on this plan takes them three days in total. Each day, they carefully traverse the hilly terrain, keeping Skybreaker always on their left. Every few hours, Yochi brings the team of Oxen to a halt, and Gemujin and Naraset ride out. The cartographer spends these precious moments of stillness with quill to parchment, and Katu entertains Yochi with stories of the old gods. The First Histories and the Iconomachy. Each night, Naraset smokes their pipe at the fire, and Gemujin rereads her texts, always ending with,
3: It would make sense that it's to the north. We should have started the other direction. Or, The terrain today was too flat anyway. It doesn't match what is described here.
0: But at the end of the third day, they come up a steep slope to see the Lavender Pennant, fluttering listlessly in the wind ahead of them. Gemujin can't believe it.
3: It's not possible. It said it's at Skybreaker Mountain, or by Skybreaker. I'm sure of it.
0: She paces back and forth for a long time, while Yochi feeds the horses and bullocks and the others make camp, pressing her hands against the rock wall and occasionally running back to the coach to consult her pages, She grows more and more agitated, until Katu guides her to the fire, and presses a bowl of stew into her hands.
2: This was never a sure thing, Imogen. The pages could be the ravings of a monk gone mad in isolation. Or perhaps Skybreaker referred to a different peak in the angels' time.
0: Yochi isn't sure what seems more likely. From the stories Katu told him, it sounded like the angels were highly unreliable narrators, the gods themselves being largely uninterested in writing things down, it was left to a few angels and demigods who learned broken olgin to document their activities in first-hand account. According to Katu, only a few pages of the Book of Becquerel had ever been transcribed, for example, and the Book of Logarazasanian, of which Gemujin's pages were thought to be a part, had never actually been collected into a book in the first place. Gemijin sips the broth from her bowl, her hands shaking. Katu pats her gently on the back, once, twice, then moves away to warm his feet and dry his boots. No one speaks. Neraset absently turns their palma in their hands, watching the fire glint in its blade, then sets it down beside them, and tears at a hunk of bread. The cartographer seems to be in a foul mood. He is occupying himself by tearing expensive-looking pages from his journal, crumpling them in one hand, and throwing them into the fire. Gemijin finishes her stew, and sets her bowl down in the snow at her feet. She doesn't look at anyone. Yochi feels awful for her. Why wasn't anyone saying anything? He looks around at the group and freezes. The red mouthed man is standing in the darkness behind Naraset. His eyes are a mottled green and black, set in a plain, pale face. It's an unremarkable face, but for the fact that its owner looks as if he had just dipped his jaw in the entrails of a dying animal. Thick blood, or a blood-like something, coats his skin from nose to chin. He wears a plain white shirt, but he doesn't seem to feel the cold. His arms hang at his sides, pale hands contorted only slightly, as if in readiness to reach out and grasp something out of the air. His gaze is fixed on Yochi. Naraset sees Yochi staring past them, shaking, petrified. Yochi? The others turn their gaze to him as well. Yochi balls his hands into fists, his teeth chattering. The red-mouthed man doesn't so much seem to breathe. Instead, he gurgles and drips. The snowbank behind Naraset shifts, and a large, multi-segmented creature lifts from it, a jointed, flat carapace bristling with paddle-like legs. Before Yochi can say or do anything, Nerisit turns to countenance a set of wicked mandibles beneath beady, black stomata. Nerisit leaps to their feet, but too late. With a hiss, the thing ejects a spiked proboscis into Nerisit's leg. Just below the hip. Ah! Katu stumbles backwards over his wooden stool. Gemujin pulls a hand axe from her belt and hurls it at the creature, but it glances off a plate of exoskeleton as the thing turns and dives back into the snowbank, dragging Naraset sharply off their feet. Yochi watches them disappear into the cold drifts, their hands grasping for their palma and closing around air. The red-mouthed man hasn't so much as twitched. He still stands, in his plain linen shirt and pale brown breeches, watching Yochi. His lips are all but invisible beneath the mask of gore, yet somehow Yochi feels that he is smiling. Gemijin runs past the figment to retrieve her axe, and as quickly as the red-mouthed man appeared, he vanishes. What the fuck was that?
3: Snowfisher. Though I've never seen one that size before. Come on.
0: Yochi rises to his feet. Nera said. Are they dead?
3: Not yet. The thing is dragging them back to its nest. We can track it and kill it.
0: The cartographer closes his journal carefully. His eyes on Gemogen.
3: You too, mapmaker.
0: The cartographer clears his throat. <coughs>
2: I'm sorry, but our quest has come to an end. Our mission failed, and we have just seen one of our two mightiest warriors dragged into the darkness by an enormous armored arthropod. Why in Oa would we risk our lives going after that thing? There could easily be more, and we could all easily perish out here. There is nothing left for us to do but to turn back the way we came and make our ignominious return to Whisper City." I would like to do that with all my blood still in my body, if possible. Ikonisha, he can talk. Trust me, if I didn't think I needed you three to make it back, I would happily have remained silent. It is exhausting to be on the receiving end of words you were expected to both understand and respond to.
0: Gemujin narrows her eyes.
3: A Thar knows what a Thar knows.
0: She strides over to the supply wagon and rummages finally throwing a blunted mace to Katu and a scabbarded shortsword to Yochi.
3: Either come with us or stay here and guard the horses till we're back.
0: The cartographer looks from Katu to Yochi.
2: You're really going along with this lunacy?
0: Yochi nods. The cartographer sighs and rises to his feet.
2: Fine. Give me a sword.
0: They traipse as quickly as they can by torchlight, following the disturbed snow and the occasional blots of Naraset's blood. The trail leads them down the way they'd come, from the north a ways, then sharply up the mountain to their right. They continue this way for hours until Yochi's legs feel like they're going to buckle under him.
2: Surely the Outrider is dead by now.
0: Gemujin says nothing. They march on till they reach another steep cliff wall. Gemujin hesitates here, then holds her torch close to the icy rock and moves back and forth slowly, examining the stone. Here. She points at packed-down snow, a broken branch of a hardy winter shrub.
3: Something crawled up this way.
0: Without hesitation, she places her torch between her teeth and begins to scale the wall. A few minutes later there's the clang of an anchor being placed, followed by a rope dropping down to them. Madness. The cartographer sighs again, then gestures to Yochi. After you? As Yochi climbs, his mind conjures the image of the red-mouthed man again. Why did his presence always portend catastrophe? Why had he, Yochi, not said something done something sooner. He has to pause climbing for a moment as a twist of shame passes through him. For the gods' sake, he was sitting right across from them. He saw it all happen and froze up, and Nereset might be. No, he can't think of it. When Gemogen has helped each of them up onto the shelf, she places a finger to her lips, and points around a bend at the shadowy outline of a crevice in the rock. They move slowly, Yochi painfully aware of every decibel of crunching snow beneath his boots. They enter the cave together, torches in one hand and weapons in the other. Round a jagged curve, the hollow comes to an abrupt end. They see Naraset crouching with their back against the wall, a dagger quivering in their hands, Carefully keeping weight off their wounded leg. Shiny carapaces reflecting the torchlight, five smaller snowfishers clack and scurry, their black beady eyes turning away from the light as they slither away on their many sets of legs. Yochi runs to Naraseth's side.
1: Are you all right? Abhijia, am I glad to see you?
0: They nod to the dagger in their hand. It's partially coated in a viscous black ooze.
1: I've managed to hurt it, but I don't know where it's gone.
0: Gemijin circles slowly with her torch, sending shadows dancing around the icy walls of the cavern. Katu! The snowfisher is scuttling towards Katu with terrifying speed. Katu turns, shrieks, drops his torch, and with both hands swings his mace low and into the snowfisher's face with a sickening crunch.
2: Ooh, well done, Minister.
0: Katu hefts his mace again and brings it down on the Snowfisher's body several times, chitinous plates cracking with every strike.
2: I'm not a minister!
3: I'm a priest specializing in (sighs) archaeo-academia! Still, Katu, well done.
0: Yochi helps Katu treat Naraset's wound, and Gemujin suggests they stay in the cave till dawn, rather than try to descend in darkness. The rest of them agree. The smaller snowfishers seem uninterested in a confrontation after Gemijin fells one with a well-placed axe, but they take shifts regardless, keeping watch while the others catch a few hours of sleep. Yochi is one of the last to sleep, and wakes up to Daeneryset shaking him.
1: Hey, help me out here. Something's going on.
0: Yochi wishes he were a tad taller, as Naraset throws an arm over his shoulder and they walk out together. The sun is breaking over a great dark ridge to the east, and the skies are tinged with pink.
2: Where are we, exactly? We're on the side of some smaller peak.
0: Katu, Gemujin, and the cartographer are all standing on the cliff's edge, looking out and down. Yochi and Neryset join them, and Yochi follows their gaze. They appear to be standing on one side of a sort of massive caldera. There are jagged peaks all around, but none taller than the still recognizable summit of the mountain directly across from them. But the caldera itself is unlike anything Yochi possibly could have expected. A green emerald stretches below them, dotted with dark trees and partially concealed by fog. A blue lake shimmers in the northern part of the valley, but not much else can be made out. Yochi looks at Gemujin. Her face is soft with wonder.
3: That's the word I didn't understand. The Vale Oase isn't at or by Skybreaker Mountain. It's somehow inside of it.
0: This was episode one of the Oa Oligur, and the first episode of season two of Thomas Tells a Story. The show is written and created by Thomas Constantine Moore, produced by Janelle Yee and Toro Adeyemi, and our theme music is by Joe Mendick. Yochi is voiced by Heron Atkins, Gemogen by Molly Griggs. Katu by Jeffrey Omura. Naraset by Alexis Floyd. And the cartographer by Heath Saunders. Thank you for listening. This story will continue in October. Hey there, it's me again. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. And if you're a fan of season one, Welcome back. If you love the show and want to keep it going, the best thing you can do is spread the word and tell your friends. You can also follow us on Twitter at TTAS Podcast or join the community on Reddit at r slash Thomas Tells. Most importantly, though, this season, you actually get to influence the events of the story. So go to our website at thomastellsastory.com slash next right now and cast your votes on three possible courses of action for next month's episode. The choices you make will be made in episode two. So don't forget, lives may hang in the balance.